This is Home on the Dot. I'm Chris McMorrin. As a professor at the National University of Singapore, I created this podcast to better understand what home means to my students. So my student producers and I have shared stories about objects and spaces associated with home, like paper houses, void decks, and haunted homes. But we haven't talked about actually buying a home. I mean, in season one, we did an episode on modern, convenient, tidy apartments and tall concrete housing blocks where about 80% of the population lives. But we didn't explain how to purchase these apartments, which are colloquially known as HDB flats. That's a shame because it's a fascinating process. Maybe I've been avoiding the topic because it's so complicated. Or maybe it's because I thought the process was not relevant to my students. Or maybe it's because of my own lack of experience. I have a confession. I'm 48 years old, and I've never owned a home. Between college, my first job in Japan, graduate school back in the U.S., and my first academic job in Singapore, I've moved a lot, but I've always rented. The other day, I mentioned this to my physiotherapist, Ben, and he paused mid-treatment, confused. So you only have a house in Japan, or is it in the U.S.? he asked. No, I explained. I I don't own a home anywhere. The confused look in his eye seemed to shift to pity, and the next 10 minutes revolved around me answering the central question of, why? Why don't you own a home? Have I made a huge financial mistake? Is it too late for me? Will any bank give me a loan at this point with less than 20 years left until retirement? Or should I resist the social pressure to conform? Before making this episode of Home on the Dot, I thought my students were free from such home-buying stress. Our producers Wei-Yun and Sam have shown me how wrong I was. In fact, the same pressures I feel, that time is running out, that I need to buy a home to be considered normal, that I need a property to secure my financial future, all these concerns also hang over my students. Starting the process of home ownership early, even during university, is seen as a sign of good planning, maturity, and future financial and social stability. In fact, as Wei-Yun explains, if you don't at least find a partner in university, you're already considered behind schedule. With the housing market so expensive, and most young people never renting but instead living with their parents right up to the moment of marriage and moving into their first home, students know that any delay in this process means further delay in becoming a full-fledged adult. In this episode of Home on the Dot, Our producers Wei-Yun and Samantha talk to two couples about the complicated process of buying their first home. They share their careful planning, their negotiations and compromises over location and floor level, and the stresses that the process can place on some couples. How do Singapore's young people clear each stage of the housing game as they aim for the keys to their first home? Stay tuned. Most young people hope to one day have a place of their own. But becoming a homeowner for the first time can be intimidating. Mortgages, renovations, and living independently are challenges that both thrill and terrify me. I'm 25, and I recently started my first full-time job. Landing a job after graduating into a pandemic was a big milestone for me. As I settle into my new work routine, I'm starting to feel left behind. My friends and co-workers are also in their mid-twenties, but they're already discussing wedding shoots and sharing ideas on home renovation. I feel like I'm procrastinating on important life goals. I know that life isn't a competition, 
but I can't help feeling as if I'm missing out on experiences that are central to adulthood. It takes years for couples to get their HDB flats, and I know I need to be in a committed relationship just to apply for one. My co-producer Sam may be in a long-distance relationship, but that makes her at least one step ahead of me. Last year, Sam and I talked to young couples at different stages of the process of buying their first home. From the bureaucratic barriers of applying to the bliss of obtaining their keys, we share the ups and downs of young Singaporeans creating their first homes. Like many other societies, buying a home in Singapore is widely seen as a rite of passage into adulthood. Unlike many societies, buying one's first home here means buying a public housing flat. Plus, unlike elsewhere, home ownership in Singapore is closely tied to marriage. The Singapore government believes that strong nuclear families are vital to a stable society and it uses public housing to encourage family formation. Married couples are given priority in the allocation of public housing, the only housing most young Singaporeans can afford. In fact, married couples and families with children are more likely to secure a bigger flat than unwed applicants. They also receive more grants and can choose from a greater variety of housing types. The most common form of HDB flat for a young couple is a built-to-order flat, or BTO. BTO flats are allocated through a nationwide ballot and construction begins only if there is sufficient interest to purchase at least 70% of the units. The eligibility restrictions on marital status, age and income can also make the BTO application process a difficult one. BTO applicants have to be at least 21 years old and cannot earn more than $14,000 per month as a couple. Despite these drawbacks, BTO flats remain a popular choice among many prospective homeowners. BTO flats are the most affordable option. Plus, they're brand new and come with basic furnishings like kitchen sinks, shower fixtures, and finished floors. They're also located in rapidly developing residential estates, surrounded by amenities like shopping centres, parks, movie theatres, and food centres, so they promise a comfortable life and are a safe long-term investment. Among NUS students who are dating, even mentioning the topic of BTO can be seen as a risky substitute for dropping down on one knee. The first couple we spoke to was Vanessa and Thomas. They have been dating for three years now. They shared their thoughts with us about BTO as a significant milestone in a couple's relationship. PTO is like a sign that mm. like, oh, this is going to be for real. So some people would equate to even almost like a proposal. Yeah, we do joke about it in the local context. Since we already BTO, there's no need for a proposal. But yeah. actually, to not like downplay the proposal or the significance of a proposal, but the BTO is a de facto proposal. Yeah. Because of the long wait, three to four years from application to receiving keys, Couples need to plan ahead. Our interviewees spoke of a timeline for marriage, buying a home, and having children. Thomas calls it the five-year plan. So for you, like, it sounds to me you all have an idea of by when you all want to get married. Actually, <laughs> actually, I, I had this five-year plan, you know. A BTO at 24, propose at 27. So. Okay, wait. I don't know any of these plans, okay? I need to, like, is that okay if you tell you? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so, and then the, the house should, should be ready by 28, 29, wedding at around then, and then we moved in, 
Yeah. Mm. So yeah, because of the BTO system, there's this need to really plan ahead. We also spoke to Kevin and Chiling, two NUS students in their third year of undergraduate studies. Both of them are in their early 20s and they have been dating since their polytechnic days when they were 17 or 18 years old. They have charted out a timeline which includes having children before they turn 30. This meant purchasing their BTO early so that their home would be ready when they started a family. Just always wanted to have kids young. Okay. Yeah, like I don't want to be middle-aged and still be running around with kids. <laughs> And both of us always had the common consensus that we're going to have kids early. Mm. It's just a matter of how early and before like I'm 30, we should have kids. So we want two years of alone time. So we should get married during that time. This is now four years before that time. Then we decide to have the house then. Anyone who wants to buy a BTO flat has to keep a lookout for the start of the BTO sales exercise, which takes place twice a year, six months before any project begins construction. On their official website and their social media pages, HDB will announce how many BTO flats will be sold in selected estates. For a fee of $10, applicants ballot for a queue number in their preferred estate. But which neighbourhood to choose from? While Singapore may be small, each neighbourhood in this little red dot is unique and many people form strong attachments to the localities they grew up in. Since couples often grow up in different neighbourhoods, their first challenge in the application process is agreeing on where to live. Some couples prefer to move near one set of parents. This can make it easier to maintain strong family ties, like gathering for regular meals. And it can make caregiving easier whether that means free childcare from doting grandparents or the couple caring for their ageing parents. Couples may also decide a neighbourhood based on the quality and proximity of schools. Kevin and Chilling eventually decided on Pongo. Oh, th- this was a very long debate because he mm-hmm. stays in Angmokyo, I stay in Pongo. Oh. And like definitely like both of us, we went somewhere near our original house, you know. But like... I think he caved because Pongo is cheaper. Like, we got this BTO also because, like, it's very near my parents' house. That's why, like, we got the BTO in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, I guess Pongo was quite a natural decision. <laughs> for you? <laughs> okay. Yeah. But for me, it's more of, like, the infrastructure. Yeah. There's a lot of, like, playgrounds, a lot of kindergarten, childcare mm-hmm. around. So, cause compared to me, Ongmokyo is a, is a mature estate. It's mainly really old people. So you can see like, even the community centres, their activity is more of like, online dancing, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Then when I go over to a house, then I can see the posters around. There's a lot of like, really more activities for children, uh, for young families. Uh, yeah. When I go over to a place, or like, when we are going home like from somewhere else then I'll say oh my god Pongo is so far that's what our kids gonna have to go through I show you that's what you want that kind of thing I have certain ideal locations but at the end of the day those are ideals <laughs> so uh, actually uh, quite a while back ago I was against Tampanese yeah, which, yeah. which was where Vanessa I don't understand <laughs> Tampanese has everything okay, okay. the airport is in your backyard yeah, you, must, you must understand that I stay at uh, Potong Pase which is sort of central so I have easy access to town somewhere in the middle to both ends you see so my max travelling distance is one hour one and a half hours so from that perspective 
if I were to stay at Tampines and coming to NUS, wow, that would take me, what, two hours? Two no, it's not that fast, one and a half hours. It's around two hours. For <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, so traveling distance is also a factor of consideration. And not to mention uh, uh, primary schools also. I think, yeah, this is something we, we haven't really talked about. Uh, I think it's a very Singaporean thing to, to think about uh, primary schools in particular and mm. also, what, childcare? Are you location still Tampines? <laughs> I think it's affected by this sense of familiarity. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Tampines is where I've been all my life, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so we have differing views. Yeah, but I think we also can't think of anywhere else to stay besides these two areas. Recently, I've been more uh, open to the idea of staying at Tampines because... Uh, there's actually a lot of food options there. <laughs> so, so that's also, I think, another consideration. <laughs> where, where the food is. Quite important. Yes. Yep. Clearly, there's a lot to think about and a lot to compromise over when it comes to just applying for this first home. Stage 2 is getting in the queue. After a couple of applies, they receive a queue number. This determines the likelihood of securing their desired unit. For instance, let's say a couple applies for a four-room flat in Pongo. Within a week or two, they receive a letter from HDB with a queue number. At that point, they know their chances of getting in a development and even the flat of their choice. All projects are oversubscribed, and couples who receive queue numbers that far exceed the designated sales quota are out of luck. For example, if you receive queue number 600 for an estate with 500 units, you will only have a chance to pick a unit if enough applicants ahead of you in the queue forfeit their spot. The random nature of balloting ensures some fairness in the allocation of public housing. However, the balloting process does not depend on pure luck. There are priority schemes for different groups which places them higher in the queue. In particular, a significant portion of new BTO flats are reserved for families and already married couples. But that would mean living with one set of parents as a married couple for months or years before moving into your first home. This is not ideal for many young people. And this is why most young couples instead apply for BTO before marriage and even before proposing. Stage 3 is choosing your unit. Once the couple gets a number within the quota, they can begin selecting their unit. You may think that the major hurdles are over at this point, but selecting one unit out of so many blocks in the new estate can be stressful. This choice is especially important because many couples perceive their BTO flats as permanent homes. Since Singapore is so small, most people don't relocate around the country for new jobs, like in some nations. Therefore, your first HDB flat will likely be your last. I should point out here that no public housing flat is really permanent. Owners purchase their flats from the government with a 99-year lease, at which stage the government retains ownership. In reality, as a nation, Singapore is so young and the housing stock so new that no flat has ever stood for 99 years. Even today, the state is tearing down HDB units that are only 60 years old. In the state's constant effort to maintain and update the quality of its housing stock, Aging projects are demolished and replaced with new towers nearby, with most residents being relocated to those new units. This process, called N-block, is the subject of another upcoming episode. Couples often follow a set of criteria to help them select a BTO unit. 
These considerations may differ from person to person, but they generally include wind and sun direction, floor level, unit layout, and proximity to neighbourhood amenities. For those who intend to sell their flats later or to rent out their unit, a desirable unit can fetch better prices in the future. Some people also pay attention to auspicious elements, hiring feng shui gurus to assess whether a particular unit is favourable. Kevin and Chiling did extensive research when deciding on their unit while working out disagreements on the floor level. The number one thing that everybody kept telling us is we need to look at the direction of the sun and the direction <laughs> of the wind for the level. Then we, are, we, we have sort of a agreement that we don't want too low, don't want too high, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also mainly it's price. Lah. So usually those that are higher is more expensive, lower are cheaper. I used to stay on the 24th floor, then now I'm staying on the 10th floor. But then for her, uh, she's staying at the 5th floor now. Mm-hmm. So she prefer the lower floors, I prefer the higher floors. So that's the area that we discuss about la, to come to a compromise. Oh. So what yeah. is the floor now? Nice. <laughs> oh, that's a nice compromise. Right okay. in the middle. <laughs> People are very impressed on how much we have researched. Like, he even created uh, Photoshop documents with where's the window. Because different floors have different window lengths. He'll put down, like, which floor has which window length. And everything is in there. Like, he, he even created a Excel sheet of which level is which price. And, like, we can click on just one button and filter out, like, our maximum budget price, price yeah. and everything. <laughs> and other couples, they are like... Huh? I, we didn't even know that different levels have different windows. Yeah. And, like, he was just like, huh? how can you not know? <laughs> Next comes the money. To confirm their purchase of the selected unit, applicants pay a reservation fee. Depending on the size of the flat, it can cost between $500 to $2,000. It is often at this point that the BTO process feels more consequential. For Chilling and Kevin, the whole process of purchasing a BTO flat was both sobering and affirming. To me, like having a home is solid foundation to our future. Like in the past, we have always talked about future, talked about like what we want here and there. Like it feels very much like a dream, but actually applying and actually getting our house felt like oh, this is a solid thing. Like this is actually happening. We're actually like taking one step into the future. It felt like a anchor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like we're settling down already. Like it's not just dreams. It's not just talk. I feel it's very different eh, like to have your own place, like a really a place that you can call your own. Because I'm born in Hong Kong, so yeah. the housing is very different. Like a lot of people cannot, cannot get their housing and because of that, they have a lot of different issues. A uh. mix of quite like a surreal and like grateful feeling uh, that I'm able to be deal. Then we come to stage 4, lease signing. Within four months of selecting their BTO units, couples seal their decision by signing a lease. Then, they submit a flurry of documents which help authorities calculate their future monthly payments. While this finality can provide timely relief from the stress of waiting, the heavy realities of mortgage payments also begin to sink in. Home ownership is relatively affordable for most Singaporeans since the state actively regulates prices of HDB flats and provides generous subsidies for applicants. For instance, couples earning less than $9,000 a month may receive up to $80,000 in housing grants, and couples willing to live within 2 kilometers of their parents are eligible for an additional $20,000 of subsidies. 
However, housing loans are still long-term financial burdens, locking people into monthly payments for decades. The timing of their BTO application can affect how well couples cope with the pressure of housing loans. Kevin and Chilling signed their lease while in university. On top of attending lectures and completing assignments, they joined talks organised by HDB, browsed through interior design websites and poured over floor plans. Now they must begin to plan for their mortgage payments. Kevin and Chilling remain optimistic. We don't have any scholarships, so there's no guarantee that we have a job after this. Within around two years of our graduation, then we'll collect our keys already. So before that, we need to get a job, we need to yeah, save up, yeah, things like that. So that, that's, a, that's the issue. Hopefully, it will be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We always knew that even if we get a job, we also need to save like majority of what we are earning for our wedding and our, our house and mm-hmm. our renovation and everything. I think we don't have a lot of worries because it kind of still feel quite fine to the future. My parents keep telling me, like, things will work out, you know, like, you're, you're going to get a job and everybody gets their house in Singapore. So, like, if everybody can have a job and pay, you also can have a job and pay your house. Since they're still waiting for their BTO flat to be built, they have some time to save up. In fact, this five-year wait makes their impending home ownership feel surreal. Chilling's parents trust that the well-trodden path for most young Singaporeans after graduation will remain safe. Stories of couples breaking up after registering for a flat are not uncommon, but there are heavy penalties for those who withdraw their BTO applications. These include losing their down payments and assorted fees, which could amount to tens of thousands of dollars. Plus, applicants who forfeit their BTO units are barred from the BTO process for a year. The high stakes involved in applying for a BTO flat requires couples to be fully committed to their relationship when they decide to purchase a home. The lack of flexibility can be scary for couples who hope to take their relationship to the next step. Thomas and Vanessa shared stories of untimely heartbreaks. I have friends of friends. Some of them, or rather I would say most of them, they actually BTO'd but they called it off after like one year. Oh, why? Mm. Yeah, that's that concern I cause. Uh, like, PTO is that, that planning aspect, but some things cannot be planned for, like yeah, your like, relationships, mm. uh, finances, could be a wide variety yeah, of reasons. I think actually. three of them, it's because they broke up with their boyfriends, so the boyfriends broke up with them, things like that. Uh, so I think BTO puts this pressure on you to, like, plan ahead, right? And then, like, you you yourself get pressure, and then you'll be like, oh, yeah, 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 I need to start to plan and like, think about getting married. But actually, you might not be ready. Your relationship right. might, might not be ready. Yeah. And then, like, you actually pay the down payment already. That's about, like, 20000 25000 mm-hmm. After that, you, you lose everything. While couples would like to have more time to deepen their bond before applying for a BTO flat, they are also aware that delays will postpone the day they can finally have their own home. Singapore's public housing system has sheltered many families, but it has also created many difficult choices that young couples today must navigate with care. Reaching step 5 is exciting. Most couples rejoice when it's time to collect their new set of keys. They have survived the wait. Many celebrate this milestone on social media as they post pictures of themselves entering their new homes for the first time. 
After all their pragmatic planning and successful navigation of the bureaucracy, these young homeowners might seem like rational type A personalities. In fact, many new homeowners follow a variety of customs when they enter their flats for the first time. For example, Chinese Singaporeans often roll a pineapple through the front door while saying auspicious phrases like huara, which they believe will help them be prosperous. Huara! They also boil water and turn on the water taps and gas stove to activate the flow of positive energy through the flat. Some Hindu homeowners have even rented cows from local farms for their housewarming ceremonies, hoping that these sacred animals will bless their new dwellings. The collection of their new keys may signal the end of the BTO process, but the journey of sharing their lives together has only started for these couples. Their new homes will be where they learn to live and grow with each other over the years. I'm so impressed by the level of planning and patience these couples have. They map out five-year plans based on housing, future childcare concerns, primary schools, and even community activities. They also spend years living apart, letting a bureaucratic timeline dictate when they will finally marry and live together as a couple for the first time. But listening to their stories also makes me feel overwhelmed and left behind. Sadly, Wei Yun feels the same way. The entire BTO process is so long and so loaded with meaning that she cannot help but feel pressure to conform. As we were putting the finishing touches on this episode, we met for a chat. From the moment she had proposed the episode more than a year before, I had wondered why she felt so drawn to the topic. It turns out it's highly personal for her. 25 is a, is a really important year. It's not, a, it's not conventionally a milestone year for mm-hmm. many people, but as a female, you are very aware that there's a ticking biological clock, mm-hmm. right? And although I'm not sure if I want to start a family yet, if I do, um, maybe 25 years old is the time to start so soon so early but proactively searching yeah proactively searching because if you're not even searching then then when do you when do you begin right right yeah and BTOs take like I don't know five to six years now with COVID wow so so you're talking about like if you start actively searching for a partner now let's say it takes one or two years of just being a couple Mm -hmm. and then you apply for BTO and then it's four or five or six years before you actually get the house. And when, when does the marriage happen? The ceremony should yeah, ideally exactly. happen months before you get the flat. Just months before? Yeah. You just, should time it so it's just a few months before. Yes. Why? Because if you do get married too soon, right? Before your flat is ready, yeah. where, where would you stay after you get married? You could stay in your in-laws, which is okay for some, but it's not ideal for yeah. some of us as well. Yeah. But okay, so the point is not, why is it that 25 feels like a very anxious age to start finding? Is that you need to factor in buffer time just in case um, the person that you think you're going to settle down with is not the right one. Right. And then you need to start a relationship with someone else. And all of that pushes back the start time of getting a house, getting married, and starting a family. Yeah. So... The thing is, it's all very personal, right? All of this, when should I settle down? When should I have kids? It's very personal. But Mm -hmm. the truth is that you live in a society that has bureaucratic processes. And whether you like it or not, your your life 
will be governed by or will be influenced by and how you decide will also be determined by uh, these, these, you know, bureaucratic processes. So mm -hmm. you can't escape it. Yeah. You're working with people who now have homes, they are married, they have children, they have children, and they're also in their 20s. Yes. And you're just surrounded by these people that make you feel like, oh, I'm on a different timeline. Yes. So it becomes the subconscious comparisons you make to other people's lives. Uh, yeah, it creates a kind of self-imposed stress because it's not even like you're so envious, right, of being a mom or like, oh, she's mm -hmm. a mom. It's just that you think, but maybe should I be try to aim for that? I mean, what it does fundamentally to me is make me realize that I have no clarity of where I'm going. I'm just copying what other people are doing and, and wanting to conform, right? Because conformity feels comfortable. You don't have to explain yourself too much. Why are oh, you not attached? Right. Why are you right. not And fine? people won't ask you the question of when are you getting married or when are you finding someone? Yes. They won't ask the question if you've already fulfilled society's idea of what you should have at this stage. Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. so much pressure. So much pressure to be a person. Especially, maybe it's because I'm a, I'm a woman, mm. right? It's just, it's as if like for male, right? You can be a bachelor and be considered successful. But for a female, mm. it always feels like even if you're really, uh, career-wise, you're very successful. It's not enough. Seems it's to, not it's never enough. enough. Yeah. yeah. So are you feeling that, do you feel that stress just in general because of society? Or are there particular individuals in your life you don't have to name names, but particular individuals, family or neighbors who kind of dig at you with the constant question. Um, not yet, because I just graduated, but right. I can anticipate that it will come soon because 25 is like mid 20. You're just nice, right? So past this 25 year old mark, uh, I think it's likely that people will start asking more questions mm. or, or prompting you subtly. I mean, friends have already been trying to match make me really with yeah with their single male friends and i've been i've met uh, some of uh, their friends yes so what you went you went on these dates yes i did oh. Oh my God. i did okay it's not it's not wrong to go on like dates right i mean it's like, yeah sure i've been thinking about should i download tinder or cmb yeah i mean a lot of my friends and colleagues have met their husbands on these dating apps. Really? Which I'm like so inspired really? by. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I need to ask myself, what are my intentions? Am I even ready? Or do I just want to tell people I have a boyfriend now? New milestone unlocked. You want to lie? No, no, Oh, no, you no, mean no, say I mean, that's why you want to have yeah. a boyfriend is so that you can tell people I yes. have a boyfriend. And then you can feel like, it's the way like you tell people I have a job now, right? And you, you feel like, oh, hey, I have a job now. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. It's in some ways it's funny because the way you just describe it makes it sound like a game. It's like you've unlocked the next level. Yes. So what's the end level? What what's the ideal for you? What's the ideal for me? When do you win the game? When I have fulfilling companionship. Yeah, so watching people it's not just about um being able to ans be answerable right to your parents mm -hmm. or to society but also like Watching the people get married around me, having kids settling down, is it feels like your life is in a way lacking that kind of companionship, the steady mm. companionship you want. Mm. Yeah. And I'm lonely. Oh no, I admit it, I'm lonely. <laughs> I'm lonely for love.
In most societies, a home is the most valuable asset people will ever own. Getting started on a housing ladder early in life can be key to financial security, and making that final mortgage payment is often cause for celebration. In space limited Singapore, where the private housing market is beyond the financial means of most residents, especially young people, the government has stepped in to make the purchase of public housing flats accessible even to fresh university graduates. But the long process from application to unlocking the door comes with its drawbacks, including heightening the pressure to conform to heteronormative values, to find a partner of the opposite sex, and to settle down and start a family as quickly as possible. For those on a different timeline or with different lifestyles, the BTO process and homeownership in general can be either out of reach or a distant dream. This episode was produced by Weiyun, Samantha, and me, with sound engineering by David Chu. Special thanks to all couples for sharing their BTO journeys. Some updates Thomas and Vanessa already tried to BTO twice, but both times their numbers were too far back. When their turn came, the remaining units weren't very good, only second or third floor units, so they decided to pass it up. They're now looking at sale of balance and resale flats and probably won't try for BTO anymore. That leaves us only one BTO success story. Chiling and Kevin graduated from NUS in December 2020, found full time jobs, and secured their flat. It's still being constructed, so they're still living apart, waiting for their wedding day, and waiting for their keys. In other news, Weiyun, Sam, and David have all graduated from NUS and found jobs. I'm so grateful for all their hard work on Home on the Dot over the past few years. I couldn't have done it without them. This week's shout out to faithful listeners goes to Punam and Naomi. If you want to learn more about BTO and housing in Singapore, check out the links on our homepage, tinyurl.com slash home on the dot. And as always, thanks for listening.